Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again, y'all, and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're systematically unfolding what the scripture teaches regarding what a lot of us think might be hard to understand and sometimes slightly scary theological topics. But we believe what Dr. Dustin Benge said, the only proper Christian response to any theology, philosophy, ideology, psychology, or sociology must be, well, what does the Bible say? (laughs) I like that one. I think that's pretty good. Yep, it is. And we are always attempting to talk about theology in a way that brings biblical application into our lives. Today's podcast is our sixth episode in a series on the end times. So far, we've touched on an overview of the end times, the rapture, the tribulation, the signs of the end times. And on our last podcast, we began to discuss the millennial reign of Christ. If you missed any of those, we invite you to go back and check them out. And we'll continue today with the millennium topic. We ended our last podcast by learning about the spiritual, ethical, and social aspects that will be at play during the millennium. And today, we'll look at a few more aspects. The first one, Pastor Jeff, is there political aspects during this time? Well, isn't wouldn't that be isn't that something to look forward to? More politics. <laughs> we we all just we've not had our fill of politics, so it's going to last for a, a whole millennium. But uh, it's going to be quite different from the politics that uh, we we deal with uh, today. Hello again, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining Jen and I here on Kitchen Table Theology. So, yep, Jen, there are going to be political aspects during the millennium. So why don't we just jump in? And today's podcast, we'll consider a, a couple more aspects of what that millennial reign of Jesus is going to look like. So politically speaking, Israel will be exalted above all other nations. And the Gentile peoples who are following after God are going to be richly blessed by God. And Jesus is going to be the king, the ruler of this. And he will not only make wise and impartial political decisions that are going to contribute to the good of all humanity, but he also will be able to carry these through. We're told in the Old Testament that nations are going to live together in perpetual peace during the millennium and will enjoy unprecedented prosperity as long as they honor the king. So Zechariah and his Old Testament prophecy, he speaks to this. So Jen, How about reading a few verses out of uh, Zechariah 14 for us, please? Sure. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of armies, and to celebrate the feast of booths. And it will be whatever, whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of the armies, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So nations, if they're honoring the king, if they're honoring God, will enjoy unprecedented prosperity. 
And by the way, Zechariah is talking there about the Feast of Booths. That's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And just as an aside, that commemorates uh, Israel's journey in the wilderness when they went from Egypt to Canaan. And if you read about that in Leviticus, and Leviticus is always the book. If you decide to read through the Bible in a year, Leviticus is the book you usually quit. That's the proverbial brick wall of Bible reading. It's just full of all of these uh, laws, Levitical laws and everything. But during that time, when they were on that wilderness journey, God had the people to live in booths or tents, those types of things. So it's a a time of remembering that. But it was also probably the Feast of Booths, the, the most joyous of all Israel's feasts. And what they celebrated, because it was held during the time of harvest. And so Israel annually, God said, celebrate my provision for all of the year's provisions, you know, the the crops and so forth that God has made possible. And it was also a time for them to pray for a good rainy season, which in that part of the world lasts from October through March. So, and rain was mentioned. So rain is kind of like the blessing on the land because Mm -hmm. their crops, the, all of those things were essential to their living and and their vitality. Specifically said the ones who don't honor the King, no rain will fall on them. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's that's a, that was a big thing. Sure. So politically, just by looking at this, I guess we could say then that their blessings on the nations, which honor the King, which then makes me wonder, where are these nations coming from? Aren't they going to be annihilated at the Battle of Armageddon? And when Christ returns to earth, isn't he just going to sort of wipe out those things and have this major do-over? Yeah, good questions and, and things. I think that a lot of people maybe assume that when, when Christ comes back and the Battle of Armageddon, that he's just going to wipe out all the nations and and start fresh and new in his millennial kingdom. So let's think about that for a second. When his second coming occurs, the earth will be filled with people and nations just like it is right now. There will, of course, be major upheaval, and we've been talking about that in previous podcasts. But with Christ, we're going to have a um, one ruler world, but prior to him and his millennium, there's going to be another one, one ruler world, and that's led by the Antichrist or the beast. But when Jesus comes again to earth, he will inherit, so to speak, all of the nations and peoples of the world. And those that honor him and submit to his kingship, we see are going to be blessed. And all indications are that most, if not all, will do just that. Okay, so I like the sound of that. <laughs> what else? So that's kind of a little touch on the political stuff. There's also going to be physical blessings for those living during the millennium. Physical blessings. Okay. So when I think about physical blessings, especially as I'm trying to, you know, keep those, ugh, I hate the term New Year's resolutions, but keep those new goals going in. I hear physical blessings. And to me, that just says I can eat all the little Debbie's I want and sit on the couch all day and not exercise at all. Are those the types of physical blessings we're talking about? This is immediately where your mind goes when we talk about physical blessings. Little Debbie's <laughs> and doing nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> I like where your head's at. <laughs> well, you know, it's not exactly going to be like that, but hey, I say we can hope for it. We can, we, we should can pray dream. about it. There we, we go. Should, <laughs> we should just put it on the prayer. Hey, hey God, if you're going to do that, how about this? 
Well, the Bible teaches us that in the millennium, everyone will enjoy health. Everyone will enjoy long life. And the Bible also seems to indicate that people can and will live throughout the millennium. Isaiah 33, 24 says, no resident will say, I am sick. Chapter 65, verse 22, for as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And, you know, even here in our country, there are trees that go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so our, the lifetime of a human during the millennium is compared to the lifetime of a tree. But the physical aspects of the millennium, they go way far beyond just that. There, there's going to be a beneficial climate. There's going to be agricultural fertility and fruitfulness. There's going to be some changes in the animal world. There's going to be the elimination of disease and deformity. There's going to be freedom from what we just know as the ordinary uh, hazards of life. And, and maybe this, this one really kind of blows my mind. God's promise that there will be a canopy over the earth for shelter and protection. And, and, and Jen, we read about that in Isaiah 4, verses 5 and 6. How about reading that one for us? Then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory will be a canopy. There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds like something I, we've read about before. Right. And I don't think that's uh, by accident. Apparently this is going to be some kind of protective shield that's going to give a very beneficial climate to at least the center of the kingdom's government and religion. Supernaturally regulated rainfall will, will come in the forms of, and the Bible calls them the showers of blessing. Mm. You know, the old hymn we grew up singing back in the day. <laughs> and we read that the trees will yield their increase. That's Isaiah 34, uh, sorry, Ezekiel 34. So there's going to be unheard of super abundant crops, and that's going to pose a very happy problem for those planting and reaping. And I, Amos, now when's the last time you, you know, last podcast we're talking about, when's the last time you read Micah? How about Amos? Famous Amos the cookie man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still on the physical thing with the I am. I'm still, I'm still on the sweet treats this morning or something. Well, Amos wrote, the time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terrace vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. The, the word for growing faster or overtaking, uh, that's another word, suggests that the harvests are going to be so bountiful that they can't be fully gathered in before those who prepare the soil for the next crop want to get to work. I mean, mm -hmm. every farmer ever would love to have that kind of problem. That's going to be the norm during the millennium. So great abundance. Yep. Great abundance. Well, we said on a previous podcast that we might run down a rabbit trail from time to time. So let's take a brief jaunt. <laughs> you said something that sparked my interest because I am an animal lover. You said something about the animal kingdom and I've got my two rescue pups here cuddled up next to me, my faithful my faithful Frenchie companions. <laughs> and tell us their names again. We got Peppa and Cece. Don't they just sound like little, little Pris Pots? <laughs> little, yeah, little sassy. Yes, 
sassy things. Well, what uh, about animals? You mentioned Hold on on a minute. Hold on a minute. You were telling me before we started the podcast, (laughs) share with our dear kitchen table theologians, tell us what you're going to do with the dogs for Valentine's Day. Well, as we film this, we're upcoming, uh, we're about a week out from Valentine's Day. And there's, a, because they're rescue dogs, there's a, a, a love, love the rescue dogs Valentine's Day party <laughs> on lovely Hilton Head Island. So if anybody oh wants to come down and, and join me, I'll be there with everyone and their, their friendly rescue animals. I'll be wearing my, my dog mom hat and have my, well, <laughs> one of them will be with me. One of them doesn't really like other dogs so she she probably won't be along for the ride but peppa will be there <laughs> she doesn't cc doesn't play well with others cc does not cc does not she would rather be a, a queen of the castle well let me tell you something herself. if cc were living during the millennium she would not be that way oh well tell us what's going to happen <laughs> well you know a lot of people wonder i get asked with some frequency you know are they going to be animals in heaven, et cetera? But are, are animals going to be around during the millennial reign of Christ? And so it, it just seems to be if, you know, if people and nations are existing when Christ returns at his second coming, wouldn't that also include animals? So for all of you animal lovers out there, you might be interested to know, along with Jen, that animals will be around, but a bit different in many cases from how we know them now. They will become docile to the point where if they are kind of meanly carnivorous right now, those natures are going to be curbed. They're, they're going to be changed, really, as and, and, and sort of the way that they were in the Garden of Eden. Psalm 91 tells us, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. In other words, I think that what's what that verse is saying is these animals are no longer going to be of danger to humans. So my dream of having a pet raccoon or a pet kangaroo or something like that might actually come into being. I I have no doubt that that's exactly (laughs) what you will do. Yay! (laughs) My cousins had a pet raccoon, and that thing got a hold of me one night and tore me up. Oh goodness! They are. Yeah, I had a rough trip. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I don't know why. Who has a pet raccoon? But hey, we lived out in the country. What you know? <laughs> you do what you got to do. Hey, uh, so there's a there's a uh, couple verses in Isaiah that tell us about this. So why not read to us from Isaiah eleven verses six through eight? Yes. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Well, this just sounds lovely. (laughs) And I'm sure there'll be Valentine's parties for all the animals. I am excited. <laughs> will there be a photo booth? Because there will be on Saturday. <laughs> well, here's what we know that there will be animals as we know them today in the millennial kingdom. So, and, and but we never, we will never have to have any fear of being attacked by your dog, Pippa or Cece. That no, never, we'll <laughs> never have to worry about that. So, to bring this physical aspect of the millennial to a close, we're, we are also told 
God will give his angels charge over us to guard us so that we will not even strike our foot against a stone. And anyone who's ever stubbed their toe in the middle of the night uh, on the way to the, to the bathroom will say hallelujah to that. No one will ever say I am sick and blindness, deafness, and muteness mm. are, will be eliminated. Mm. Well, including our last podcast, we've now learned about various aspects of the millennial kingdom. We've looked again at the spiritual, ethical, social, political, and physical aspects. We said we would cover six aspects. So what is the final one that we're going to talk about? Yeah, I find this last one quite interesting. Dr. McCune in his book on systematic theology, and as I said a few podcasts ago, we're following some of the outline he provides in his book and also uh, Charles Ryrie's book on basic theology. Dr. McCune calls this the ecclesiastical aspect. So this has to do with the externals of religion, the, the place, uh, the forms, the outward factors connected with worship. And he, he says that perhaps maybe the term liturgical mm. would be more appropriate. So in, along this line, there will be a priest slash king, the Messiah, and he will be the, the, the priest, the kingly priest on his throne. So this will be, in effect, a union of church and state, the exact opposite of the separation of church and state we too often hear about in America. And, you know, by the way, and talk about a rabbit trail, did you know that the term separation of church and state is nowhere found in America's founding documents? You know, I think most people assume it's in the Constitution, but it's not. Uh, and I think what we've done, we've confused it with the First Amendment. And the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting and established religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Mm -hmm. So then where did that term come from, that idea of separation of church and state? Is it just an idea or is it written down anywhere? Well, separation of church and state was a metaphor. And it was really rooted in early American fears of government involvement in the church. We flip that around today. Mm. And, you know, we can't have the church uh, influence the government. When our country was founded, it was the other way around. So Roger Williams founded Rhode Island, and he was the first public official to use that as a metaphor. Mm. And he, he, he said that an authentic Christian church would be possible only if there was, quote, a wall or hedge of separation. And I love this between the wilderness of the world and the garden of the church. Mm, mm -hmm. And Williams believed any government involvement in the church would corrupt the church. And that's so true. And we've seen that down throughout history. But the, the probably the most famous use of the metaphor was by Thomas Jefferson. And he wrote a letter to the Danbury Connecticut Baptist Association in 1802. And in that letter, he declared that when the American people adopted the First Amendment Establishment Clause, they built a, quote, wall of separation between the church and the state. Mm. Well, that sounds, and I, I think you were alluding to this, to me, like the church was more worried about the government than the government was about the church. That's exactly right. Yeah, today's society, I think, seeks to reverse the intent to relegate religion and the church to the sidelines. Uh, there should be no influence upon the government. And the Establishment Clause separates church from state, but not 
religion from politics or public life. You know, in individual citizens, we're we're free to bring our religious convictions into the public arena, but the government is fav- is prohibited from favoring one religious view over another, or even favoring religion over non-religion. So, boy, that yeah, we ran down quite the little trail there. So, to our international listeners, <laughs> uh, sorry about that, but a little American history never hurt anybody. But anyway, back to the millennium. If you want to call that an official state religion, I don't think you'd be far off the mark. It's all going to center around the worship of Almighty God with Christ on the throne. There is going to be an international center of worship in the Millennial Temple, which is something Isaiah calls a house of prayer for all peoples. Mm. Now, that temple is going to have a priesthood. The Feast of Passover will be observed, as well as other holy days. Even we learn even certain sacrifices and offerings are going to be made there. And again, Israel will be accorded a primary role among the nations. It, it will have sort of most favored nation status. And Israel is going to revert, I guess we could put it this way, to kind of their original charter from Exodus 19, where they were called a kingdom of priests. Mm-hmm. So things and people which go against God, although I think that will be rare, are going to be judged swiftly. They're going to be judged justly because they will want only to violate the theocratic order and the established faith by trying, by seeking to undermine it. And King Jesus is not going to allow that to happen. And so there's the uh, ecclesiastical aspect of the millennial kingdom. And that makes six. And wraps up our points. That that it does. <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening today to Kitchen Table Theology. Please take a moment, if you would, to rate and review today's podcast wherever you listen to it, including Apple, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If it helps you, then it might help some new listeners to find the show. And we want to spread the Kitchen Table Theology love. And please check out today's episode show notes. Special thanks, as always, to Danny and her team at Streamlined Podcast for editing and sound designing today's episode. There's going to be a lot of editing with today's episode, so big thanks. <laughs> <laughs> big thanks to Danny and her team. You can find out more about their work at StreamlinedPodcast.com. And head over to JeffCranston.com for more information about Pastor Jeff, his books, sermons, and blog posts. Until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.